Welcome back to It's Pronounced Memoir, where non-famous people discuss books by famous people. I'm one of your hosts, Anne Immig, and today we're discussing Maria Bamford's Sure, I'll Join Your Cult, a memoir of mental illness and the quest to belong anywhere from Simon & Schuster in 2023. Let's begin with a question for my co-host. If you joined a cult this week, what kind would you choose? Mariana, would you like to begin? Sure. I would join a cult that emphasizes and stresses and demands sleep, regular sleep, napping, cat naps, and just laying about. Wendy? Well, most cults are famous for giving you a lot of snooze time, so you're on to something there. I would choose just just your garden variety one where I didn't have to make any decisions. I'd just be given the white robe to wear every day. I'd be given, uh, you know, the slop to eat. Uh, I would I really don't want to have to do a sex cult thing at this point in my life. So that's now that a deal sounds breaker. exhausting. Yeah, but uh, anything else, I think I'm I'm kind of down with it now. I think this week I would join a cult for partners of people who just discovered six seasons of New Heart on Amazon Prime. (laughs) And it would need to begin with some deprogramming of the theme that you didn't even know you remembered from the 1980s that won't stop waking up in the middle of the night. Will I see you there? Well, you might see Larry, Daryl, and his other brother, Daryl. Yeah, exactly. Um, You may see me there, but I'll be sleepwalking. (laughs) <laughs> Finally. And what is that theme song? Na, 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 na. You knew I would start in, but I'll stop there because wouldn't it be better to just go experience it for yourself? It could put you to sleep. Oh, she's totally oh. recruiting. She's recruiting. <laughs> I'm in. Did, if you could see our Zoom right now, you'd see my pupils are spinning wildly. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. I am in your power. Yes. Yes, you are. So this is going well. Maria Elizabeth Sheldon Bamford, the author of our book, grew up in Duluth, Minnesota, and went on to attend Bates College, University of Edinburgh in Scotland, and receive a degree in creative writing at the University of Minnesota in Minneapolis. She started stand-up in Minneapolis at the age of 19 at Stevie Ray's Comedy Cabaret, and 10 years later made her first appearance on The Tonight Show. So if you're not rabid fans of Maria Bamford already, like I know Wendy and I are, 99% of what she's done is voiceover work, including Adventure Time, Bojack Horseman, and Big Mouth. She's done 30 years of stand-up and tons of other stuff like comedy specials on Netflix and Prime. I've seen her live. Wendy, I know you've seen her live. And then she also has two seasons of a series about her life called Lady Dynamite. So we'll talk about some of that later. But despite her comedic success, Bamford has faced numerous setbacks and rejections throughout her career. She auditioned for the role of Phoebe Buffay on the TV show Friends, but was ultimately turned down. Can't you completely see her in that role? No. No. (laughs) I was expecting an overwhelming (laughs) yes, but guess that's why she didn't get it, folks. Things I'm not a casting director. So she didn't let those setbacks deter her and said using this field to continue developing her unique comedy style. It is definitely unique. The New York Times describes her as weird, scary, and ingenious. Um, 
And her book is a brutally honest and hilarious frenetic memoir about show business, mental health, and the comfort of rigid belief systems from Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People to Suzuki Violin Training to Richard Simmons to 12-step programs. So I already sort of gave the disclaimer that I love her and Wendy loves her. And all these comedians love her. Patton Oswald raves about her as the kind of comedian you watch and think, I've got to write more. I've got to think deeper. Tigna Taro says she's her absolute favorite comedian. And Chad Apatow describes her as the funniest woman in the world. But I will say that when I was looking at the reviews, not everybody feels this way. There was a one-star review. This book made me feel anxious. One star from Beth E. on Goodreads. And that is totally fair. What do you guys think? This book was a tough read for me. There are parts that were very funny. Obviously, she's a very funny person, but it also made me feel uncomfortable. It made me strangely dislike her tremendously. I thought the memoir was performative, and maybe that's not unusual because she is... Wendy's making such a sad face. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> but she looks great, so that's the most important thing. Uh, I thought it was performative. Like, was she, was she Is this memoir an act... It made me ask deep questions like that. And, uh, no, I, and I don't yeah. like to think very deeply. <laughs> well, that, I think that's really fair because I was reading a lot of her quotes and things. And some, some of people close to her have suggested they would actually like to know what she really thinks about things. And I will yeah. say I read it and I listened to it. And I experienced it so much like watching her act that I found it really hard to actually retain because I just was like in on her set, sort of. Wendy, how about you? Those are both great takes on this. I can see both sides of it. I am a huge fan of hers. I've seen her live quite a few times. So I inhaled this book. I loved it. I read it in one sitting. And the retaining part's interesting, though, because now that I'm thinking back, I'm like, oh, yeah, I think I, I read it too quickly. And maybe it was ephemeral, like a stand-up act. But I, you know, I really enjoyed it. And I don't know that I came away with knowing the true Maria. I don't think that was necessarily her intention. And I don't know if she even ever wants to do that. But she does get very um, personal in her shows and then will immediately segue into a funny voice. So that's sort of how I think the book happened too. Like before, she'll just get up there and touch the edge of a, insight or personal thing and then switch it to a comedy thing to deflect it. So I think I, I saw that a little bit, but it didn't bother me. I mean, she's a notorious oversharer and what she shares is incredibly courageous and vulnerable. So it's kind of ironic to be like, we don't really know her because she lets us into things that most people wouldn't, but there's always a persona and there's always a shtick. She does these incredible voices I laughed so hard. I found her so insightful. So let's get into it. From her own website, it says she's a comedian's comedian who has forever fought to find a place to belong. From struggling with an eating disorder as a child of the 1980s to navigating a career in the arts and medical debt and psychiatric institutionalization, she has tried just about every method possible to not only be part of the world, but to want to be a part of it. With sincerity and transparency, she recounts every anonymous fellowship she has joined, including, but not limited to, 
Debtors Anonymous, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, and Overeaters Anonymous. As she says, I'm very fond of suddenly adopting a new set of ideals in order to receive welcome from any rigid group of weirdos. So the whole book is a trigger warning, but I would say joyfully so. I mean... Everything from suicidal ideation, OCD, or the mentals, as she calls them. I'm so glad you can't see all the air quotes I'm making. Sorry about that. Eating disorders. Boogers. We can. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, <laughs> eating disorders. Boogers. I'm not kidding. It's pretty gross. Um, she pet married. death slash oh, murder. Yes. Pet death slash murder. What other ones did I leave out? What made you cringe? What weren't you ready for that you heard? The boogers, the eating boogers, definitely. Yeah. When she describes her um, intrusive thoughts, which is harm, OCD, where she she has a fear that she will murder slash sexually abuse the people she's near. And hearing her describe that, I didn't need to read that. Yeah, that was a that was a lot. Yeah, it's. Definitely really visceral. It's like a lot of this is like watching a train wreck. Not your, you know. Hannibal Lecter is the conductor. (laughs) (laughs) On the other hand, I think it would make you feel no matter what you've ever thought or gone through, I think you would feel like you weren't alone listening to that and feel less shameful. She's really so skilled at the way she navigates all of these really serious issues with humor and compassion. But it is not for the faith part. She married Scott Marvel Cassidy in 2015. They're still married. He's an amazing artist, by the way. You can see his art. His handle on Instagram is DodgeColt95. And he paints these super realistic scenes, really incredible artists. So the book begins with this iconography that she uses. She has read, as you can imagine, every self-help book since she was a child. So she styled her own memoir in this way with these hilarious icons. There's a stop sign as a trigger warning. And in the book, in the audio book of these, which I highly recommend since she's a comic first and foremost, she just has all these hilarious sounds for this. Um, So some of them are like, a thunderclap or a car crash. I think uh, the stop sign one is a break sound in the books. And there's like a thunderbolt when she breaks um, 12 step anonymity rules. And there's like a mixing, like a mixer in a bowl for recipes. It's, I found that really hilarious. So Marianne and Wendy, if we used iconography or sounds for our podcast episodes, what should we include? Uh, I really like that one emoji that's a face that's kind of like the looks like, you know, like it's not happy. It's not sad. It's just kind of uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I like that one a lot. So maybe that and then um, maybe just a laughy face like this was supposed to be funny. So you should be laughing now. Oh, like an applause sign. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. Better. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Mariana, do you have any um, suggestions? Yeah, something like like a, a drawing of a Pulitzer Prize, because when they start awarding <laughs> those for podcasts, it's really just a matter of time. A Peabody. It could be a Peapod. Or do they say... I, I'm thinking Peabody. more Pulitzer Nobel. <laughs> but yeah, we'll start with the lower ones. 
I was thinking more literally along the lines of a sad flower or sad trombone for every time we mispronounce Mariana's name, Mariana, instead of Mariana. It happens over and over again. Uh, Just as a programming note, Mariana is right now taking a picture of her cat while we're recording this podcast. (laughs) And you said Mariana instead of Mariana. So that's perfect. So (laughs) we can use like a cat claw for every time a cat interrupts. Listeners, this is so fun. Oh, see? (laughs) That was me. That wasn't the cat. Okay. I think we've driven this into the ground. You're so convincing. Oh, just you wait. <laughs> um, so she provides a full disclosure. Maria Bamford, not Mariana. This book is not going to have a clear chronicle of trauma healing victory, more like a series of emotional Sudoku puzzles. I grow tired of trying to solve. I haven't figured it out, and I don't relate well to stories where people have found some sparkling new reality at the end of their memoir. She also talks about how she punches up history because, you know, a big thing about memoir is whether or not it's real. Is it completely true? Now everyone has a disclaimer because of that Oprah memoir in the 90s. What was it? Pieces of. Oh, James Fry. Yeah. Oh, that was a oh, yeah, right. yeah, that was a mess. A little million pieces. Yeah, I think that's right. And how it I was. I love this like memory tests that we're getting. It's I know. It's not sharp. Yeah. When I don't prepare you and then I throw it in there and put you on the spot. Hey, remember um, Newhart? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> it was like really that Oprah memoir that got debunked. So it turned out he had made stuff up, whatever. So now every memoir has to include this page that says this is the best of how I remember it. I mean, that wasn't a thing before then, right? Does anyone remember? No, not really. I don't and, remember. Yeah, but there's but will, yeah, there's a disclaimer, like other people may have different memories of this happening, but this is how I told it, which is kind of giving you like a little bit of a, a get out of jail free card. Like that's how I remember it. Yeah. So she says she punches up history, adds a zing to reality, like otherwise known as lying like a rug bolt. She just calls it lying. <laughs> and she talks about um, her first cult. This is all organized by cults or 12-step, which she kind of considers synonymous as her family. And she talks about Bamford family dinners. She was allowed a short guest set as the youngest. And then there was three minutes with the kitchen timer in which she was allowed to uninterrupted have her say at the dinner That's table. That's adorable. And I kind of related to this as the youngest in the family, not that there was a kitchen timer, but I felt like I was always either missing the joke or missing why everyone was crying and wanting to know. And it was always like, why is everybody so upset? Glare. Or, wait, I don't get it. Ah, you know, eye roll. Um, what was your role at the family dinner table? Uh, how can I get my sisters in trouble? So you know, give them advice. Like if you don't like the taste of peas, put them in your mouth with some milk and then plug your nose and don't breathe, which results in a pea explosion. Mariana, what was your role at the family dinner table? When I was a child, I was a very picky eater and I, I did not like sitting at the kitchen table and eating with my parents. So my role was to rearrange the food as quickly as possible on my plate to make it seem as a, like I've eaten. 
and then be released to watch either Little House on the Prairie, It Is Enough, Charlie's Angels, New Heart. <laughs> be released. Yeah, New Heart. Wendy, your um, family dinner table story reminds you that my husband and his siblings, if they would start to laugh at the dinner table and they had food in their mouth, they would all chant, spit it out, spit it out, and slam the table. <laughs> I waited until you finished your coffee before I said that. So Maria Bamford is really known for her impressions of her mom and dad. In fact, I really recommend you can watch the special, special, special on Prime Video where she performs her entire set in her house to only an audience of her mom and her dad while doing impressions of her mom and her dad. It's really <laughs> unbelievable. She talks about her life coach slash shaman sister, Sarah, who used to be a doctor. Her husband is also a doctor. And Maria goes, she shoots, she scores, because they've both been sort of indoctrinated into achievement. Um, she and her sister, as they were growing up, they were kind of always tallying to win favor with their parents. What do you remember from the family chapter? She talks about on one hand being so privileged, being very loved, growing up in Duluth. And she's the first one to say her problems were not real problems. And at the same time, she reads a Richard Simmons book at, I think, like age 10, <laughs> develops an eating disorder and overexercises, is plagued with these intrusive thoughts. Like, it's quite a dichotomy. I'm not sure what the best age to read Richard Simmons is. Um, <laughs> maybe 10 is as good as any. I reviewed some of the things I highlighted in this book, and just like her parents were interesting. Uh, but like, her mother that time, like her mother didn't want her father to appear gay. Is that right? Like, yes. is that one of the things? Yes. And then he wears a shirt that she thinks looks gay. And she says, change it. He doesn't want to change it. He refuses. So she puts Dijon mustard on his shirt. So it's ruined and he can't wear it. It's not quite like the abusive childhood that we read in some of the other memoirs, but it's not like a, a beacon of stability either. And then I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself, but her mother, she... Maria realizes that she might have been bipolar because she was taking this medicine that the mother said was to prevent seizures, but she was taking it for like, you know, 50 years. <laughs> and it's a medicine um, that treats bipolar disorder. Yeah, Depakote. So that's exactly what I was thinking. You find that out later in the book and you hear how her mom had eating disorders. And um, it explains a lot that even though... Maria traces back her intrusive thoughts. I thought this was really interesting. It was around the time that kids were doing titty twisters, which is so horrible and weird, right? Just the idea that you could be walking down the hallway and someone would grab your chest and like twist it, which is so painful too when you're like that age. I mean, that's not great at any age, as Marianne would say. Right. <laughs> but I have to reach a little lower these days. But it's so stuck. <laughs> <laughs> It's more, yeah, it's more of a climate disaster than just a little twister. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now you're just bragging, Anne. She was so shocked by that. Even the idea that somebody could just run up and grab like a private part that it kind of plants a seed in her brain. I thought that was really interesting that all of a sudden oh, all bets were off in her childhood brain. I think this is really interesting as a woman, too. 
she started internalizing that and immediately flipped it around like, well, what if I'm the perpetrator? What if I just reached out and grabbed someone private parts? And that's kind of where the intrusive thoughts began. So now we know she probably had the predisposition from her mom who was on Depakote for like 40 years. They said it was for a young adult seizure disorder, but when she went off of it, she had a full-blown manic episode. Um, her mom did. So she has this predisposition. This weird thing happened, this titty twister thing. I hate that word, those words together. And um, I'm glad you said them like 10 times in a say row. Say it again. <laughs> say it again. Let's change our theme song. We just have to find out how you say it in French. And also, she wasn't sleeping because of all this. So she was developing an eating disorder, hyper-exercising, and not sleeping. It's just like a nightmare. I kind of thought of her mom as a little bit like Kathy Hilton, sort of everything is perfect. We are going to be the best family. We don't have any issues. And so I think Maria, with her eating disorder and her uh big urge to please her family. I think that that was kind of a perfect storm. And maybe if she had had parents who were like, you're not handling things well, we're going to get you to a therapist a lot earlier. Or her mom had been like, I'm struggling with this too. I think Maria would have had a very different path. Well, they think it was just the times too. Like, I don't even know if her mom thought she herself was struggling. They were... right churchgoers. They were super compartmentalized, kind of wasp, 1980s, middle-class family. I relate. <laughs> that Suzuki chapter is priceless. Wendy, That's I know it was chapter. one of your favorites. Yeah. What, I mean, how do you even describe, did you do Suzuki, either of you, or did either of your, did your sibling, my, I know my older sister did Suzuki and also was sent to Montessori. And by the time I rolled around, nobody was doing any of that. When one of my children was young, um, I attended a Suzuki, I don't know, open house. And I think I like broke the world record for running out of there really <laughs> as soon as they said. And of course, the parents have to do it too every night. I'm like, goodbye. <laughs> so she describes all of these things as like her indoctrination to cults. She always talks about the positives too. Like she learned discipline. She learned how to soldier on when you hate what you're doing, which doesn't necessarily sound like a good thing, but served her as she was going through the slog of trying to become a stand-up comic. The way this works is I think you learn by listening. You learn classical music, this very strict way where groups of kids all learn at once and you just by rote practice and practice and practice. And it goes on and on throughout all of childhood it just sounds like a slog from hell, but the chapter is hilarious. But do you remember, I think her mother says to her, okay, you can pick one activity, either Suzuki or dance. Like, what is she, three or four? So she talks about, as a four-year-old, she looked at dance. She, she did do dance, but like she forgot one of her props. She saw the older kids had even more props. She's like, I can't handle this. She forgot to put underwear on under her tights. And she remembers doing a routine to look at that doggy in the window and like free ball in it, as she said, without her stool or her underwear. And that's when she decided, okay, I'm going to do violin. <laughs> and then she finds out about how many props there are with violin. And she describes them all like the horsehair, like everything. Very funny chapter. I love her. Oh, look, we converted. You see the cult. Converse. Converse. Successful. She's yeah. in the cult. 
Well, I, I, I mean, she's very, very funny. So I did love that. But to me, getting back to me, um, just the problem as a memoir, like if we read a celebrity memoir, I'm going to have to, I'm going to need her to drop some names. Like who was that sitcom writer? Dirt. Okay. Yeah. Well, just names. She drops the name of that boyfriend in high school. Wyden Muskrat. Wyden Muskrat. Wyden Muskrat. Muskrat. It does me no good. It helps me not at all because he has like some pro-life clinic now with his wife. So I'm not going to be going there. But then she dates a sitcom writer. Oh, yeah. Who was was divorced and successful and had two homes. And yeah. Yeah. And and is now married to a psychologist and she doesn't say who it is. Yeah, can we at least know the therapist's name that he married? Come on. I tried but Paulina, to Paulina, Paulina, she also dated a sitcom writer and didn't say who he was. Oh, same mm-hmm. same person, most likely. Maybe. But didn't you figure out who it was, Wendy? Well, yeah, I have With sleuthing Paulina. skills. I can figure out who Maria. Hold on a second. Okay, <laughs> we need a, we need some sort of sound emoticon here for like We've been for research and research typing, <laughs> research slash random segue or or a magnifying glass. I'm glad you brought up Wyden Muskrat because, first of all, I think that's the most hilarious Northern Minnesota name I've ever heard. But also because that's in the Dale Carnegie chapter, which is hilarious. She and her dad, her dad decides to take her to a Dale Carnegie seminar, and it's where she learns. Name, compliment, name, this formula that actually works so successfully for her that that's how she gets her first boyfriend. She starts talking to people at school she's never talked to before. They're just a bunch of Minnesota kids, so they don't know that they're being sold sales tactics. And she's just all of a sudden saying everyone's name and like complimenting their like umbro shorts or whatever. And it is working for that's her. That's a good point, Anne. Yeah. Uh, which one? Anne, thank you for making that point. You're so wise, Anne. Anne. <laughs> I appreciate you piping in on that, Wendy. Look, it's totally working for me. I have the biggest smile on my face, listeners. Every chapter is a different cult. Overeaters Anonymous. She talks about the book, The Artist's Way and Celebrity. There's Debtor Anonymous. Her sponsor, Bernice, fires her this impression oh, of this yeah go ahead wendy but let's talk about debtors anonymous uh, a little bit because she did something i thought was really interesting where she details how much money she would make during stand-up and mariana you said it was blacked out in the kindle but it's not in no, the it's hardcover. not um so i got the audio and it's beeped out in the audio but in the kindle version it's not blacked out okay I'm a huge proponent of wage disclosure because you just don't know. But I thought that was really interesting. And she was very honest about her finances, which I think for some people is even more shameful than saying you have a mental illness. You know, it's such a a taboo subject to talk about your financial state. And that's why our tax returns will be posted in the show notes. (laughs) She is such a decent human being. So this is a quote about that. She says... I like to tell people who are working with me what I make so they know what they're earning as opposed to what I am, so they can negotiate for themselves if they feel what I'm paying is unfair. Also, it's interesting to find out what people make. Like, what are you making for writing this article? This was part of 
an article that I will cite properly in the show notes because I took this out of context. Um, and she says, I'm making zero for this interview, but I was paid $150,000 for this book deal and have only received $90,000 so far. And it also relates to, she was a spokeswoman for Target and made a lot, this is like her first big successful commercial job. And she really found herself struggling with being a spokesperson for a multinational corporation with questionable labor practices, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Wendy, I'm sure you watched Lady Dynamite. Mariana, did you ever watch Lady Dynamite, her show? I started to watch Lady Dynamite, but I didn't get very far yet. I wish I had read this book before I watched Lady Dynamite because it's all about her and her life. And she does a parody of these commercials, which is very hilarious. But this is also meta because now we know how much she was struggling while doing that show. And her mental health was about as solid as that could be. But she barely made it through shooting that show because her mental health challenges, even when they're in the best situation, just take so much out of her. Yeah, I really appreciated all that context. And I plan to rewatch Lady Dynamite again. I loved it the first time, but now it's going to be even richer knowing all of the backstory. I also wanted to let you both know, and under full disclosure, that I'm making $5,000 per podcast episode. (laughs) Which is great because... Now we know how much to charge you for being your assistants since we're getting paid nothing. <laughs> also, Anna Gasteyer is hilarious and Lady Dynamite. She is yeah, amazing. She is. There's an incredible Patton Oswalt. Like there's all these incredible comics. And do you know the name of the actor who played her agent, Bruce, and that? I can't think of it offhand, but he's amazing. And now we're as we read the memoir, all of it is real to you know to a large extent i want to say something that really bothered me about the this memoir and that is that she refers to the 12-step programs as cults i think it's a huge disservice i really find it offensive and um i think she is somebody who's benefited tremendously from the programs and like to sort of shit on it and maybe it's not shitting on it maybe that's the comedic overlay that i'm too sensitive to appreciate. But I just, you know, like it really, really turned me off. I'm so glad you said that. I can understand that and that a lot of people might feel that way um, and not find this book funny at all for a lot of reasons. I mean, she's joking and making light of a lot of disturbing things. And I do feel like She's a huge fan of 12-step and talks about how they've been survival mechanisms for her. But I think especially if you're from the outside and you've never had a loved one go to a 12-step program or binge one yourself, it might not cast the best light. A cult is easy to get into and hard to leave. And I think 12-step programs are just the opposite. It really takes a lot of courage for somebody who needs that kind of help to get to a 12-step program. And if you want to leave, the door is open. Nobody, like you don't have to pay anything. Nobody's going to drag you back in. So I just wanted to give that um, sensitivity warning or whatever it be. And the other thing, just, I know she's bipolar, right? She mm-hmm. talks about, she has yeah, a bipolar. No, yes, yes, you're not sure. 
But then when she talks about Julia Cameron, who's been such a force, and are you are you both familiar with her yeah. work, The Artist's Way? I think everybody's read it multiple times. And she mentions that Julia Cameron is bipolar and that would have been good information. And it's like a throwaway joke. I didn't know that Julia Cameron was bipolar. But I just also feel like, like, was that a dig at her? Like, I, I maybe I'm overly sensitive about it. But since we're talking about Julia Cameron that I just brought up, I do have to mention that she was married to Martin Scorsese. Because So I'm providing this important information as a service of who's married to who. Well, I, I will now be stepping off my soapbox and going to go watch <laughs> Little House on a Prairie or Charlie's Angels. You've been released. <laughs> well, I think it's worth saying, too, that uh, I bet a lot of people would feel the same way about how she handles the topic of suicide. I found it to be really compassionate. She has really strong opinions about it, but it could be very easily misunderstood. So she really tries to normalize suicide and how this, these are my words, not hers as somebody who has worked in circles around suicide education. And just a lot of people don't understand that suicide is a way that people stop unbearable pain. And it's often just a really, really bad combination of suffering, addiction often, and the wrong moment. And she's really outspoken about how she could still find herself ending her life that way. While the suicide hotlines and everything are so important, she makes jokes about how it's so patronizing, like, yeah, we know the number, give me a break. So on one hand, she's an outspoken proponent for normalizing the subject and talking about it. On the other hand, it would be very easily misunderstood. Um, but one thing I really appreciated is she's been through multiple hospitalizations. She's been on lots of different medications and always is talking about how that is the main thing saving her life, but it has not been easy. And they all come with a big downside. A unique perspective she brings that I really love is that just talking to people, if you are in a crisis and sometimes they'll call a hotline and have to wait for hours, she's like, get out of your house and go down to the convenience store and just talk to people. Like she's a big proponent of people just showing up for people and how you never know how you might be saving someone's life, even with like a casual exchange. I, I really like that part. And I saw her in a show in Austin a couple of years ago and she had just been in a facility a mental health facility and really talked about that. And that really stuck with me. So I was uh, very interested in reading the whole story behind all of that. And, you know, she tells about the inpatient. No, she wasn't inpatient. She was in the hospital for like 30 days or something. Well, she did three different stints. Some were three different shorter, stints and some were longer. She really, she's very honest in all of that. It's, it's, there's humor in it, yeah. which I appreciated. Because that is such a difficult thing. It's kind of a weird thing to say, but I enjoyed reading those chapters and the stories about that. Um, and there was so much honesty in it. She talks about the medication that literally saved her life that she acknowledges. And she says she still wants to stop taking it sometimes. Like she's still like afraid of weight gain or that it's not really her. And that's that kind of struggle that it's important insight for us to have of what it's like to live like that. Here's a couple quotes. One of them is from the Star Tribune, which is where that quote was that I mentioned earlier. Um, 
So the question, is it helpful to you to talk about all this stuff? And she says, I think not being alone with something is the one thing we can all do. And you don't have to professionalize it. You can talk to someone on the bus. It may not be quality conversation, but sometimes you can get eye contact with someone at a coffee shop. And that is a way of healing. I try to get my mental health needs met through whatever is in front of me. If I say hi to everyone in the neighborhood, even if they don't say hi back, it's good for me. I try to keep connecting whatever that looks like. And actually, there's brain science that completely supports that, that says that those little connections you make, even with strangers, are just, if not more important to your well-being as your primary relationship. So I thought that was really interesting that she's discovered that Mm -hmm. on her own. Uh, And then here's kind of the flip side that I was trying to describe earlier. She says, if I or anyone else dies of suicide because of whatever's haunted house is in their head, I just want to celebrate that I or you or anyone else was out there crushing and grinding for as long as we could. Yeah, that was that was powerful. And then she, I remember when I saw her show and I've seen her mention it a few other times, but she's really uh, become a voice for veterans, the high suicide rate of veterans. And she's mentioned it in her show and I think she acknowledges that in the book about how she'll say it in a show and it kind of brings the room down and she doesn't give a shit because she's like this we all need to know this you need to know that this is happening yeah she makes a joke like they go away to war and then they die when they come home like instead of on the field it's a shocking joke but yeah it resonates so Mm -hmm. marianne and wendy what is memorable to you about this book her raw honesty about her own struggles and what it felt like to be in her body and in her head. It was very visceral and uh, an important read for me. I felt that the comedy bit, it felt like a shtick at times, and it was very funny, but it was hard for me to reconcile those two parts of her, the very witty, I mean, obviously super talented comedian, um, somebody who's really suffering. And to be able to hold that was was very memorable for me. I'm a huge admirer of anybody who can balance tragedy and comedy. And I thought that this was done well in her book. She does it in her act too. I kind of uh, appreciated it as an observer, not as somebody who's gone through it. So take that as you will with a grain of salt. I think if I had been somebody with these struggles or who related to it on a personal level, it would have been a different experience. You said something, Wendy, about how you can never predict what she's going to say next. And that's so unusual with a comedian. And that is something Mm. I loved about this book. Like, she is brilliant and hilarious. I laughed out loud so much. I'm so moved by what kind of a person she really is. I love how she can hold both mocking her family and in the next breath, talk about how much she loves them. And she knows this is completely her own neuroses and that they're wonderful people. She talks about her sister coming at her last hospital stay and taking a gong and like using crystals. And <laughs> she, and she's like, I don't believe in any of that, but I believe in the power of people showing up for each other. It's really beautiful. Um, it is. She has a huge heart. She has a huge heart. Yeah. I didn't read that about that in the book. Was she diagnosed with an enlarged heart or something? <laughs> Mariana, that joke was hilarious, Mariana. Thank you, Mariana. One day, Wendy. One day. Uh, wait, now I'm confused. How is my name pronounced? <laughs> Memoir. Memoir. Mariana. 
From now on, we will be known as Wenwa, Anwa, and Mariawa. Mariawa. Oh, this is really coming off the rails. Okay, I think it's time to wrap it up. Do you want to take us out by humming the New Heart theme song? That's not going to play well with our outro music. There's going to be a lot of editing. I'm worried. All right. Thank you for listening. Come back again. Don't forget to follow us. Not not in person. Right. We're not a cult, but we'd still appreciate reviews and like and follow. Subscribe. Thank you. Bye. And offerings. <laughs> Bye.